If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this February 10th, 2019. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective. And hour number two is generally our guest hour. And uh, this particular hour is particularly interesting because our guest is uh, somebody who um, is taking on the same cause I have uh, for the last uh, several years. Uh, anyone who knows anything about me knows that uh, I am uh, the... Uh, basically the lone voice in the media wilderness shouting as loud as I can that the whole Penn State, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky scandal was a fraud, uh, that it, it was a media creation, that it's not based in fact, and that, believe it or not, Jerry Sandusky is innocent, and the most amazing part of it is it's not even close. Uh, just this uh, week, I recorded a two-and-a-half-hour podcast, which I'm hoping will be released this week, although I'm not 100% sure anymore because... The producer of that, who was completely convinced I'm right, and it's a pretty major podcast, uh, and I got in a bit of a fight over when this thing was going to be released because I thought that he didn't tell me the truth about it. And so I haven't heard anything from him since, so I'm, I'm still presuming it will be released this week. But, you know, my lack of trust in people, I basically have PTSD. You know, a lot of the victims in the Sandusky case were misdiagnosed with PTSD as an excuse for why they couldn't remember anything. Uh, but I, I have PTD, PTSD from this case where I don't believe anybody. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll believe anything only when I see it. So supposedly this podcast, which is amazing, uh, which will come out uh, hopefully this week. But here's what we are going to do. We're going to interview Jerry Sandusky's attorney because this week there was a major ruling in the Pennsylvania Superior Court where Jerry Sandusky's uh, most recent attempt to get a new trial was rejected, but that his sentence was vacated. Now, that sounds very dramatic. And it got a lot of publicity, and a lot of people were contacting me saying, whoa, what does this mean? Is this possible that Jerry's going to get out of prison? And the, re the short answer is no. Uh, but, you know, the media uh, gave a lot of publicity to this, and I thought, well, you know what? This is a good opportunity for us to bring in uh, who we've never done before. We've never done, never done an interview with him before with uh, Jerry Sandusky's attorney, Al Lindsay, who is a guy who um, I've had a lot of interaction with, but um, 
we have never been buds. We have not gotten along. In fact, at times we have hated each other's guts. We have uh, basically told each other, called each other every name in the book uh, for, for, I think, legitimate reasons, probably on both sides. I know I have legitimate reasons, and I'm pretty sure he believes he has legitimate reasons. But we have come together on this particular issue. We agree 100% about what really did and did not happen here. And I and obviously, I'm supporting his efforts, uh, no matter uh, how unlikely I think it is that uh, he will end up being successful. But I, I asked him to come on to explain this ruling and the state of Jerry's appeal, and he agreed. And uh, so uh, without further ado, attorney for Jerry Sandusky, Al Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Al, so uh, there was a lot of uh, news coverage this week about this recent development where the, your appeal to the uh, Pennsylvania Superior Court for a new trial was rejected, but that Jerry Sandusky's uh, sentence was vacated and sent back for resentencing. And there was, a, there was a lot of confusion about whether or not this was a, a big deal, no deal, bad deal. Uh, what was your uh, short version interpretation of what the court did? Well, it, as far as what the court did, we kind of viewed it as a mixed bag. Uh, we were unsuccessful in getting a Jerry a new trial or having the case dismissed, which is what we're obviously more interested in than anything else. But one of the things we brought to the Superior Court's attention was, in our opinion, uh, Jerry's sentence was illegal because it imposed uh, mandatory minimum sentences. And the court decided on our favor on, on, uh, on that matter. Now, of the two, of course, we want the new trial because we think Jerry's innocent, and we think that if we have the opportunity to have a new trial, we will be successful. But, of course, uh, getting a reset, this is something. And I think the perception is is that uh, we're chipping away at this thing. Uh, this thing has been in place for a number of years, and we've been fighting it since uh, 2014. And so we're happy with any victory. So would you say whether it's a big deal, no deal, little deal? It's a deal. How's that? <laughs> well, but, but effectively, uh, best case scenario, he gets resentenced. And, and uh, what do you think the chances are of his sentence in the resentencing process being lighter than it currently is? Well, you start with this proposition, it can't get worse than it is. Uh, he was given the 30-day sentence, or 30-year sentence, excuse me, a 30-year sentence, and uh, we have a guy that's in his middle 70s, so it was not not likely that he would ever get out of prison with that sentence in place. So whether it'll be a reduced sentence or not, of course, we don't know. It'll depend on the judge. Uh, there is, of course, a very strong sentiment publicly about uh, Jerry Sandusky and what he represents, and I'm afraid I must say it, but I will say that the court's at least in Pennsylvania, are subject to public pressure. So whether I should be optimistic or not, uh, I don't know. Of course, we're willing to fight any issue on this case. Well, the reality is that, that because of public pressure, the, the judge is going to go bend over backwards to make sure that he's not perceived or she's not perceived as going light on Jerry Sandusky. So it wouldn't shock me if, if, if his sentence ends up becoming somehow, if the judge can figure out a way to do it, even heavier than it currently is. Is that not a possibility? It is a possibility, and I understand what you're saying. Uh, uh, you know, particularly in light of what's happened in this case, I t tend to share your sentiments. 
but nonetheless, uh, we're going to take our shot at it. Now, in the in that process, uh, let's just play a, a fantasy game here. Let's say that the prosecution, um, because Jerry has never confessed here and never pled guilty and never engaged in any plea bargaining, which is exceedingly rare for someone accused and convicted of this type of crime. By the way, before I ask you the question, have you ever heard of a serial pedophile who was convicted who didn't eventually confess in some way, shape, or form? Have you ever heard of that? I have not. Okay. And, and so let's pretend, and I think that's important because, because you know, there, there's got to be a reason for that. Uh, and I believe, and you believe, it's because he's innocent. Uh, so, so let's pretend that the prosecution says, uh, you know, Al, uh, this thing has been going on so long. You guys have been relentless in your appeals, and it's just taking up uh, so much time on our end. Um, what if uh, what, what if we uh, came to, together and decided we'll, we'll cut Jerry's sentence in half, maybe, or maybe we'll give him twenty years instead of thirty years if he if he just confessed, if, if he just pled guilty, and we could be finally done with this thing? What would Jerry Sandusky's uh, reaction, in your view, be to that kind of a proposal? I think, uh, oddly enough, I think he would reject it. You've got to understand, this is a very strong Christian man. And the idea of getting up and standing in front of the judge under oath and saying that he did something that he did not do, knowing Jerry, knowing his wife, Dottie, I can't see it happening. And, and again, that's important, because this is a man who doesn't have long to live. Uh, he's he, he um, has he accepted that he's going to die in prison in all likelihood. Has he accepted that that's the most likely scenario? No. Uh, Jerry is uh, Jerry's always taken the position that eventually this will work out. That eventually the truth will come out. Eventually he will get his new trial, and eventually he will be released. I saw your uh, press conference that you did after the uh, Superior Court decision, and, and at one point you, you said that, uh, that Jerry just wants to get his good name back. And, and you, uh, to your credit, uh, told the media that, that Jerry, I don't know what exactly the words you used, but effectively you were saying that Jerry is very naive, that even under the best-case scenario, that that could ever possibly happen. I, I view it as delusional. Uh, in my interactions with Jerry, Jerry is a is a very odd guy. Uh, in some ways, he's very smart. In other ways, he's exceedingly uh, naive uh, and 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 in some ways delusional. Uh, I'm curious, Al, how much do you believe that his naivete and and tendency to even engage in delusionally optimistic thoughts? made him vulnerable to this whole story happening in the first place? Immensely vulnerable. I, I think Jerry's one of these guys, and, and we see a lot of this, with someone who's totally innocent and someone who's totally unfamiliar with the criminal justice system, they assume that the criminal justice system will take care of them because they're innocent. You know, our system is a great system, proof beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, presumption of innocent, and everything will work out. And uh, Jerry, uh, of, of all people, was a victim of this. Uh, of course, we said he had ineffective counsel, and I don't like to throw stones at other counsel, but uh, we certainly, I guess, we've, we've publicly taken the position stating he had very ineffective counsel. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is when you're in a situation like Jerry was in, you have to have very sophisticated counsel, 
it's a real struggle. And I don't think Jerry understood really that he was going to get convicted until the jury came back and said guilty. He really believed that as the evidence came in that these young men were not telling the truth and that he would be vindicated. I think he was shocked by the verdict. Well, I, I completely agree with that. In fact, I don't even know if you know this story, but the second time I interviewed uh, Jerry and Dottie in prison, I, I asked both of them, when was the first moment that you thought this might not turn out okay? Now, of course, if, if Jerry's guilty, there's a thousand moments where you might start to worry. Uh, but with uh, tears rolling out down both of their eyes, uh, they both uh, simultaneously and in quite great detail told me that it was the reading of the verdicts that was the first time that they ever thought that this might not turn out okay. And, 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 you, and obviously you agree with that, but I interpret uh, part of this naivete to be uh, based in their religion. I, I, I am convinced that they believe that God or Jesus uh, or some sort of force for good in the universe was going to eventually protect them. And I actually believe that this has been detrimental to their uh, ability to defend themselves because they have not taken some some courses of action back when it was, uh, I think, a fixable situation uh, because they didn't think they needed to. Uh, do you agree with that assessment? What an interesting point. I have never thought of that point, uh, but to a certain extent, I think that that's true. These people are very strong Christians, and they believe uh, there is a purpose in everything. One of the interesting things is what you said is what Dottie said to me one time, uh, and you know, Dottie is a, is a saint. And uh, when I was talking to her once, she said to me, you know, someday I'll figure out why this happened. In other words, she said, sometime I'll become to realize what was God's plan in allowing such a horrible injustice to occur to people like us. And uh, so I think to a certain extent what you're saying has some validity. Now, let's go back to what the Superior Court did. Uh, this was not the first time that uh, an attempt to get Jerry Sandusky a new trial uh, has been rejected. I, I, I'm curious, in the process of this particular appeal, was there any indication that you were getting, uh, making any headway? I know they didn't rule in your favor, but did you get any, oftentimes you can interpret what a court is actually thinking by, you know, the questions that they were asking or not asking and, and their response to, to your filings. In that process, were you getting any indication that you were, one, getting a fair hearing, and two, that, that there was actually some belief on the part of, uh, of the court that, that you had a valid case for a new trial? There was. In all these appeals, there's what we call an oral argument. And last, I believe it was August or September, we had the oral, oral argument before the three-judge panel. And, of course, uh, I uh, came on very strong, as is my nature. And uh, we, they, they treated my arguments uh, very respectfully. Uh, they asked a few questions. But clearly, uh, I mean, it was, I was quite frankly hard to interrupt because I was coming on so strong because I have such strong feelings. When the prosecutor got up, the deputy attorney general got up to argue, they were all over trying to get her to explain, you know, the various things that we had raised. And one of the most peculiar things occurred, she's given 15 minutes to make her argument. I was given 15 minutes, and of course I ran out of time. She's given 15 minutes, and suddenly in the middle of it, after a seven minutes, she said, 
she sat down. She said, that's all I'm going to say. And sat down. It's kind of like a, a no-moss moment, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's, that's quite a, a, an approach to use. She just said she had had enough of answering their questions, which were pretty well pointed. So after that, we thought we had a good chance. And the other thing is this opinion took so long to come down. We anticipated it would be before, before now. And every day that went by, we thought it was a good sign. And the reason is, if you'll recall, the first appeal, the direct appeal, they came down very quickly and uh, rejected uh, Jerry's appeal, as did the Supreme Court. And this time it took them a long time, and which was an indication that, in my mind, that they were probably struggling to figure out you know, what to do with this thing. And then when the opinion came down, it was sort of a disappointment, because what they did to a large extent was just parrot the lower court's opinion. Just uh, well, you know, uh, said the lower court said this, and we agree which was surprising, and it took him all this time to uh, write that opinion. But it was a long opinion. It was 119 pages, which is, I guess, an indication. It, it was certainly not uh, given the, uh, the the quick rush opinion, if you understand what I mean. Well, but the way I interpret that, Al, is that, and I wasn't there, and I haven't uh, read the, the uh, full opinion, but um, it certainly is consistent with my view of what's happening here, is that intellectually... Uh, these judges realize that you have a very strong case for a, a new trial, but that emotionally they don't have the stomach for for what that would mean to them personally or to the state of Pennsylvania. Do you believe that that's a fair assessment? Well, I, I, I've kind of been loath to speculate on the motivations of the courts in this particular case, and so I, I guess I won't say, in my opinion, whether there is that sentiment. I, w I will say this, that to reverse this decision, in light of all that's happened since uh, June of uh, 2011, would s send this state, uh, Penn State University, this state, into a, uh, a, a cataclysm. I mean, you look at what Penn State, first of all, uh, has has paid out all this money, suffered the sanctions. Uh, of course, uh, Joe Paterno died. Uh, Joe Paterno lost the, the games, and then they were put back. Uh, all of this money's been paid out to all of these people. And, you know, the interesting thing, the curious thing, is we are saying that Penn State was, in effect, the victim of a fraud, that these, that these claims had no validity. Penn State didn't even evaluate the claims before they paid out all the money. Right. And uh, so we say you got scammed. And the, the interesting thing is I found that 10 state people, alumni, people I know, are, don't want to hear this. They, they, they don't right. want to hear the fact that right. this may have been wrong because of all of the negative impact that this conviction had on Penn State University. So I can't say whether the uh, court – I can't say whether the court is intimidated by this. I can say this is that, boy, it, 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 there's so much water that's gone over the, the dam, and the effect of a new trial, particularly if we get an acquittal, which we think we will, uh, you know, it, it would just be a, a staggering effect on the state. And I, I, I know from my experience that courts, while we like to think of them as independent, they are prone to be very concerned about public opinion. Well, the, these judges have to face re-election at some point, and uh, and that's one of the problems. But I could have told you that um, that Penn Staters are your worst audience. And in fact, as you well know, that was a big mistake that Jerry made during the trial, was that he was 
urging Joe Amendola to keep people with Penn State connections on the jury, which was the exact opposite of what he should have been doing because Penn Staters became invested emotionally, personally invested, and are still very much this way today in a narrative because if what Jerry is saying is true, then they were all duped and they threw their own people under the bus and they went through a huge... Uh, incredibly difficult catharsis of negative emotions and all this criticism for nothing. And no one wants to do that. They would rather believe Jerry is guilty now because to do, to think otherwise actually takes an enormous amount of intellectual courage. So the, all the incentives in this case are upside down. You have people that should be Jerry's greatest defenders who are actually invested in his guilt. You see that, right? I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on everything you said. Uh, that's been my experience. That's exactly what we're encountering. Yeah, and, and, and that makes it impossible uh, for this to ever be fixed. Now, you and I disagree on that. You, you are actually somewhat optimistic. You have said you believe that there will be a new trial. In fact, you've even said that if he gets granted a new trial, that, that there won't even be a trial because the prosecution won't even seek to, to redo this because their case is so weak. I, I couldn't disagree with you more on that, but why don't you state your case and why you believe that? Well, the, uh, first of all, they, they, they have to go back with these same witnesses. And these witnesses... No, let's hold on a second. Now. Let's go to the issue of why you believe Jerry will eventually be granted a new trial, because that's the key issue. Oh, okay. Well, I first of all, I have confidence in our state Supreme Court. Uh, right now, the composition of the Supreme Court is to our liking. These are smart people. They're straight people. And, you know, one of the things is it's interesting is the composition of the court changed. That's one of the effects of the Sandusky case where there were certain scandals related to some two of the Supreme Court justices, which would have been very hostile to our appeal, are off. And now we have new justices, and, and we like the composition of this court. We like the fact that these are bold justices. And we think we have issues that we, we think we call them killer issues. They're issues that they can't uh, get away from. You see, the Pennsylvania, the way it's set up in Pennsylvania is the Superior Court, the Intermediate Appellate Court, has to consider every appeal, and they're looking as to whether or not the lower court made a mistake. When it comes to appealing from the Superior Court, the Supreme Court does not look back and question whether they made a mistake. The question is, is the mistake such that it has statewide implications or precedential implications? Is it, is it change the law? Does it affect the law? Is it the first impression of what the law should be? And in this case, there are several issues which are way out of the box that the courts have, have, have held, which, uh, if they're left to stand, certainly change the law radically in a very bad way. And uh, one of those issues that I've mentioned is this issue. Uh, do you mind if I go on and explain this? Is well, that right or? I, 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 it, it's a li it takes a little bit of time, but basically where you're going is this, this issue of the prosecution's burden to give the defense exculpatory evidence and whether or not simply the right to cross-examine uh, disqualifies that obligation on, on behalf of the prosecution. Do I have that right? You have it right. And, and you see, we, we think 
this rule, Brady v. Maryland, is fundamental. It's a, it's a rule that came down from the United States Supreme Court, and the Superior Court said that Brady was violated. But, Brady, but the Superior Court said it didn't matter because Amendola right. cross-examined, however ineffectively. And what our position is, is that, in effect, it says if you can cure it by having the lawyer say anything, then Brady doesn't exist. And that is a major departure from the rules with regard to Brady v. Maryland. And I like and I like that issue, Al. But I wonder, um, and I thought about this after we talked yesterday. Uh, is it possible, this sounds, and so, so much of this case is uh, upside down and counterintuitive. Is it possible that Jerry actually has too many legitimate appeal issues? Because when you throw so many at uh, a human being, doesn't matter if they're a Supreme Court justice or whatever, they're, they're, they're not going to be able to per- devote the, the time and attention and focus on every single one of them. I've seen so many datelines where one issue that's not even that big of an issue, but it's, it's fairly clear and it's against the law, causes a new trial. Well, Jerry, I think you, you have 22 or something like that. Is it possible that Jerry's trial was so horrendous that it actually causes it to be more difficult to get a, a judge to focus on why there should be a new trial? The answer to your question is, yes, you're correct. However, and here's what I need to explain. We think that we had 22 issues, and we think that each one of those issues was a standalone issue, that if, if this case was not Commonwealth v. Sandusky, if it had another name, would have gotten him a new trial. Mm-hmm. But now, when we're going to the and, and we have to preserve all those issues. I understand. And, and we have no, I'm not, criti- Al, I'm not criticizing you for raising them. I'm no, saying... No, I, I, I'm saying no, I, I need to explain something, though. For our purposes of... Uh, the Superior Court, we have to raise all of those issues to preserve them. However, when it comes to a petition for the allowance of appeal to the Supreme Court, we're only going to pick our top issues out of that 22, four, maybe five issues that we feel are the type of issue that's going to get the Supreme okay. Court to hear the appeal. Well, let me stop you there for a second, because and this is an issue you and I have talked about for years, and at one point... You even called me, and you and I have had a, a, a rough go of it. Uh, you, I think you would acknowledge, you know, you, you and I have not liked each other very much for, for mo- much of this uh, uh, nightmare, but we, we, have a com- we, we have a common cause, and so that, you know, that's why we keep uh, intermittently communicating. Well, uh, well, the only thing I'll tell you, John, is, is that I respect what you've done, okay? And sometimes I really respect the fact that you have taken this cause and you have so uh, eloquently and strongly, forcefully, stated what we, what you and I know to be true, that Jerry's innocent. Sometimes I have gotten to the point where I feel I can't do what you want me to do because it just doesn't fit into the box that I'm working in. I, I understand. Believe me, my wife feels the same way about me. So don't, so don't, don't worry about that. But, but, here, but here, here's where I'm going. I don't even know if you remember this, but there was one particular issue that I have been screaming from the mountaintops is I believe Jerry's best appeal issue, especially in a federal court, but it may be at the, US, at the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And at one point, you even called and told me, you know what, I'm going to acknowledge that you're right on this, and yet I've never heard anything about this publicly. And that issue is this, that you have a, a situation in this case where the governor of the state of Pennsylvania, Tom Corbett at the time, voted and urged others to vote 
to fire Jerry Sandusky's former bosses, Joe Paterno and Graham Spanier, because of their role in this alleged cover-up that you and I both didn't know didn't happen in a way that made it impossible impossible for Jerry Sandusky to get a fair trial seven months after the act that Corbett made to the Board of Trustees at Penn State. And Corbett's not just the governor, he's the attorney general who began the investigation. Now, if that is not an appealable issue that the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania or a federal court might find absolutely beyond comprehension, I don't know what is. So will will you please... Make that case to the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. We raised the issue of that, what you're talking about, as part of the, initially in our, in our petition for uh, PCRA, Post-Conviction Relief Act petition, that was our lead issue, and it's not, it's not exactly framed the way you said. It was simply the whole media circus that was existed uh, and that that did not gain much traction. But, but with it's the- Corbett. It's not the media. It's the it's the it's a government actor. The government actor. The governor made it impossible for Jerry to get a fair trial because of what he did to Paterno and Spanier. How is I mean that goes to the essence of our entire legal system in in creating and when you go out of your way to create an environment. Uh, of hysteria of Salem witch trial, where, where you not only you, there's a practical element of where his some of his best witnesses are taken off the table because of what Corbett did, but also because of the issue uh, uh, of the hysteria that was created surrounding it and the environment that was created. I mean, when Joe Paterno gets fired, this is you. you, you this is a unique situation. This case has never happened in any other situation where a a man's former boss who is the most legendary figure in the modern history of the state gets fired because of an arrest not because of a conviction because of an arrest i mean that that's the state this that that's what to me is why from a legal standpoint especially a federal court but i believe even the pennsylvania supreme court would look at that and go wait a minute don't you want to talk about creating bad precedents or, or impacting law? I mean, think about think about what that would mean in the future if state actors were allowed to do that, Al. I think practically you're exactly right. I think as far as trying to make an issue of that <sighs> based on the record, remember, I got to work with the record that Amadola made. Uh, based on that record, I don't think I could get much traction. But I, I listen, you're your uh, position and how you feel about this is certainly valid. I mean, I certainly feel the same way. You start with the basic position. You know, one of the things that is underlying this whole thing is we have to work with the record that's made. And you see, when it comes to pretrial publicity, we have to a large extent work with the record of how these jurors, when they were questioned, the questioning that was done by Amadola and the court, in what they call voir dire, we have to deal with that record. But the under there, there are two underlying things. Yeah, uh, uh, and I guess we raised it more or less with the idea that there should have been what we call a cooling off period. I, the, I get all that, but Corbett is the issue, Al. And Corbett, and a federal court especially, and I'm, frankly, I think the Supreme Court because there's no fans of Corbett on that court. But uh, but a, a a federal court is going to look at the Corbett issue 
uh, and I and and and, and Al, I know you want to kiss up to the Supreme Court. And I get it, and good luck, <laughs> and, and and good luck, good good luck with no, them. I, no, my, my, I, it's not kissing up to the Supreme Court. What I said, I really genuinely believe. <laughs> okay, well, fine. I hope I hope you're right on that. And I and look, I I, I don't want you to do anything to jeopardize, uh, you know, what the, the, your chances to the Supreme Court. But but everybody knows that that your only shot here is in a federal court. And, and, and when that time comes in the next couple of years, hopefully, uh, and hopefully they're not going to slow play this to the point, uh, you know, and I, I, I believe you're being slow played, by the way. I, I, I be, I, do you believe you're being slow played, that this whole process is taking longer than it, than it should because they don't want you to get into a federal court? Is that, is that a possibility? Listen, anything's a possibility. I, 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 have, no, I have no objective evidence to say that that's true. Okay. Uh, but certainly, uh, they're, well, they're in no hurry. Well, what, what, okay, if, if, I, if I die tomorrow or before that happens, can you please do me a favor? And when you get into a federal court, can you please raise the Tom Corbett issue? Can, can, okay. Will you, will we'll you certainly give it every consideration. Uh, uh, so no. Okay, that's a, that's a, that's a no. I mean, that, I'm telling you, that's your issue. Um, now, there's a couple other issues that, with regard to ineffective counsel that I want you ad- to address real quick. Mm-hmm. And, and that is... Um, and I have been a defender of Joe Amendola, Jerry Sandusky's original uh, attorney. He and I had a, a pretty good relationship up until uh, about a year or so ago. And, and, and what I'm about to tell uh, you and our listeners is part of why we no longer have that relationship, because uh, I, I, there are two things that uh, Joe did not introduce at trial that to me are deadlock cinch ineffective counsel issues. Uh, one is the interview with the uh, so-called janitor in the, uh, the, uh, the alleged uh, uh, victim number eight episode. There is no victim number eight. There's no date. There's no contemporaneous report. There's nothing. There wasn't even a direct witness because that alleged direct witness, James Calhoun, was on record in an interview with the prosecution saying three times it was not Jerry Sandusky that he saw, and yet that doesn't get into the trial, nor do Jerry Sandusky's medical records, which have all sorts of things, including the fact that he effectively has no testicles, uh, that would have been incredibly important into discrediting, uh, based upon these allegations, these these alleged victims. Neither of those things make it into the trial. Um, and I would like to know, Al, why are you not screaming those two things from the mountaintops with regard to ineffective counsel and explaining to the media why this isn't just a technicality? This is, this is, this is issues related to Jerry's innocence. Can you help me understand that? Well, first of all, with regard to the Calhoun interview that you're referring to, the tape recording, and just so your listeners understand, uh, there was a a witness that testified a janitor and for some reason i guess my age i'm not i'm not recalling his name but he testified that another janitor uh, mr calhoun uh apparently witnessed jerry sandusky uh having some type of sexual contact with a young boy now that was and so he testified uh that this is what calhoun had told him there was an objection that it was hearsay it shouldn't have come in. The judge, in keeping with many of the rulings, let it in. And as a consequence, uh, you know, that Jerry was found guilty of that count based on the hearsay testimony of this second janitor. I think his name was Petrosky. Yes. Uh, it, and and what, what was not brought out, which is John's referring to, is the state police actually and the reason that they were able to do that to bring in that uh hearsay statement was calhoun apparently was considered mentally incompetent and he could not testify 
himself, so they brought in Petrovsky to say what his hearsay statement was. That shouldn't have happened. He shouldn't have been able to do that. But what John is referring to is there was a tape where the state police interviewed Calhoun when he was apparently lucid, and Calhoun was asked point blank, was it Jerry Sandusky that you saw with his kids? He said it was absolutely not Jerry Sandusky. So that would have directly contradicted what Petrosky said. Uh, and, of course, one of the other issues we raised is why did you make Calhoun come in and testify? Because there was no competent evidence that he was unable to testify. But having said that, we certainly raised that issue, and that is a, 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 a good issue, but it only refers to the one count. One of the problems, John, we have with this is that we can, for example, attack the sentencing on this count and not that count, and this involves the one count, but we certainly have raised that issue. That issue is as part of our package, that the fact that they did not uh, play the Calhoun tape, and, of course, I think the reason we concluded that the tape was not played is a defense counsel. What happened in this case, uh, they hired a, a uh, investigator to assist them prepare for this case, and this investigator fired off discovery request after discovery. Every day he was firing off to the prosecution. And the prosecution was more than happy to comply, and they did what we call a discovery dump. They dumped so much paper on Amadola, the defense attorney at the time, that there was no way that he was going to go through that. Now, buried in this dump of material was this very, very important document, or actually a tape or a disc, mm -hmm where the Calhoun uh, interview was. so But we right. have raised that issue. We think we've milked that one as uh, far as we could do it. The other issue, we were not aware of it until substantially we were well into the process. And that issue, I, I think right now I don't want to discuss that because I think that there's still some issues that have to be resolved. And I'm afraid that if I discuss that openly, I would get myself into trouble. So I'll bypass the, that. the medical records. Yeah, there, there's, there's, there's something I would need to say with that, and I don't want to say it. And so I just huh. uh, okay. But you agree, you you would agree uh, that Jerry's medical records, had they been uh, presented at trial, and the uh, accusers had been uh, hit with uh, Aaron Fisher. Here's here's, here's what uh, about the medical records. The records themselves would not have, have they, they might have come in, but what is really significant would be the testimony of the doctors who was treating him. And, and just so your listeners understand, and I understand the significance of what you're saying, the significance of what you're saying is, is this, is if he had atrophy of the testicles, that would be something that would be so obvious if you were having some sexual contact with someone, you would have thought somewhere in the course of the scandal that someone would have said something and noticed it. And I think that that's, that's a very legitimate point. But there are issues within that that I right now think I should probably uh, okay. not discuss. Right. But I understand what your position is, and I, it, it's an interesting thing. And, of course, in the event that there is a new trial, which we think we are going to get, uh, certainly it'll be, it'll be an issue. All right. Um, a couple real quick things. Um, the, um, I, I'm curious... Uh, Al, you, you did this press conference uh, after this event, and, and frankly, the, the questioning was 
was uh, pretty fair and, uh, uh, you know, was much, much better than I've seen on this story in the past where the media just basically treats anyone who defends Jerry Sandusky as if they're the devil. Uh, are you sensing even a little bit uh, a, um, a melting of that ice? And, and what's the interaction to you uh, with the media behind the scenes? Are you, are you getting any sign at all that anybody in the media is starting to wonder whether or not maybe you aren't a crackpot and, and that maybe there is something to this notion that Jerry Sandusky really is innocent? The answer to that, John, is absolutely. There, there is a certain shift. And the, the shift, interestingly, is not so much in the public because I'm not being aware of it, but there are a number of uh, people in the media that we've had discussions with, and people are starting to get queasy, as you will, about this conviction. And uh, my, my relationship with them, if you thought they were friendly, has always been friendly on this subject. Interestingly enough, uh, from a lawyer's point of view, uh, I've had nothing but favorable treatment from the media on this matter. And I found there's a number of... Uh, uh, print media and a number of, uh, of people in the television industry and radio industry that have been very, very favorable in our treatment. In other words, they, they, behind the scenes, as you say, there's clearly some questioning of this. And it's due to a number of things. I think, number one, our, our appeals and, the re for example, even this resentencing is that people are starting to look at this. Maybe this isn't as clear-cut as we thought. As you know, Mark Prendergast's book, uh, which came out, uh, The Most Hated Man in America, anybody who has read that book has been significantly impacted by, uh, by this case. Uh, Mark uh, put together a tremendous case about how this is a very, very flawed uh, prosecution, and uh, he took it apart. And, uh, and the book has received very favorable treatment, and I think that's had an impact. I think your work has had a very positive impact on what we're doing. Uh, I, I think of uh, John Ziegler, as they, they say about John the Baptist, the voice of one crying out there in the wilderness. And it's, it's really helped. You know, it's a lot of people. And I think that what you have hit the nail on the head is the media, the print media and the broadcast media, have looked at this case differently because the, the, the conviction is being attacked by so many different angles. And one of the issues you've raised, which is very significant, is that if this guy did this stuff, wouldn't it by this time have some indication from him that, yes, I did this, or so did some of it or something, which, of course, has never occurred. All right. So the answer to your question is that was a long answer. To no, answer it's good. That. I mean, it's good to hear. I, I hope that's true. I don't know that uh, it makes a lot of difference going forward unless someone has the guts to to do the right thing, and I doubt that that's going to happen. But 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 my last question, Al, is, uh, um, and this deals with something that unfortunately, uh, due to my own. Uh, lack of, of following my own instincts has not happened in, in, a, in a timely enough fashion for it to be uh, part of an appeal. Of course, most appeals are on legal issues, not on factual issues. But I, I, I do need to get your, your take on what I believe uh, is, is the new proof. And Jerry Sandusky is now on record uh, saying that this is the way things actually happened. And Gary Schultz, the administrator who uh, pled guilty to a misdemeanor in this case, is on record saying that this is the way things happened. What is your take on the fact that I believe we have now proven 
And then we're doing this interview on February 10th, which is ironic since February 10th is a key date in this case, because that's the day that Mike McQuarrie went to go see Joe Paterno, allegedly to tell him about uh, an assault that he saw uh, the night before, that, that that's not the way things actually happened, that this, this event did not happen the night before on February 9th of 2001, that it actually happened on December 29th of the year 2000, and that Mike McQuarrie waited six weeks from the time that he saw whatever he did to the time that he decided to go see Joe Paterno and that what really facilitated him going to see Joe Paterno is that on the day before he goes to see Joe Paterno, a job opens in the Penn State coaching staff that he wanted, the wide receiver's coaching position, which eventually he would not get, but then would get it three years later. It's a job he wanted desperately as a graduate assistant. What is your take on the fact that that belatedly now, uh, that we have, have proven this, and that if there ever is a new trial, how impactful do you think that would be? All right, first of all, we start with the proposition, if there ever is a new trial, how impactful would that be? And the answer, in my mind, based on what our conversation yesterday where you detailed this to me, and our conversation today, in my mind, it would be very impactful. It would be very significant in a new trial. Uh, the and with regard to well, what impact would it have on the appeal? Uh, you know, I kind of a lot of this I got really grasped, if you will. And this is the way these things go. There's there's so many. This is a a multi-headed hydra, if you will. This case. There's so many different aspects to it. The uh, one of the many issues is I was listening to you yesterday. Uh, I thought, well, there's a lot to this, and it. I don't know. It's, you know, whether we can do anything with it on the appeal. I'm sure you understand that what we have is I'm not doing this appeal alone. We have a team that does it, and uh, I have a guy by the name of Andrew Salem who works with me who is really our guru when it comes to what issues we can and cannot raise. I tend to be more of the oral advocate. He's the written advocate. But it's very interesting, and I, I, think, I think you're correct factually that it is very significant because McCreary, we like to say McCreary was the Christmas tree upon which all the ornaments are hung. No McCreary, no McCreary, there ain't no case, because that's what really juiced it up. It would, if you look at the closing argument of the prosecution, it was built around McCreary. And from what you're saying, there's substantial grounds to question what McCreary said uh, based on, on what your research shows. So I think it has great significance. I don't know that we can do much with it on this appeal, but with regard to your question, how impactful would it be in a new trial? I think it'd be really, really significant. Well, I'm happy to talk to Andrew about it and share with him uh, the information right. that I have. I think you know that, but I just want to make sure that, that that's clear. Uh, because, okay. because I am positive uh that well i mean i know that jerry you you know jerry probably even better than i do jerry doesn't say anything unless he's sure about it which is a problem actually and that's part of what got him in trouble in the bob costas interview he he, he considers everything no matter how crazy it is and he's very hesitant to make a definitive statement about anything. And I got him to finally make a definitive statement that he is convinced that december 29th was the day and by the way that's my biggest mistake in this whole thing al was when I first interviewed Jerry back in 2013, I knew he didn't believe February 9th, 2001 was, po was possible. I knew it. I believed it in my bones. At that time, I still thought Jerry was a pedophile. Uh, and, and I did not trust my own instincts. 
And I did a very cursory investigation of that, and I let it go because I thought there's no way the prosecution got this wrong twice. They'd already gotten wrong wrong once, saying it was March 1st, 2002. There's no way the prosecution got this wrong twice, and it's my damn fault. Um, but uh, but when you get Jerry uh, uh, convinced of it to where he's given me a statement that that's the case, and Gary Schultz, who has zero dog in this hunt because he's already been convicted of a misdemeanor in this case, and he was the guy at the center of all this, I think that's pretty darn powerful. And, uh, and, and, and the facts, and frankly, the facts are overwhelming uh, that, that, that indicate this. So please don't let that issue um, go by the wayside. And I, I wish you the best in your next appeal. And uh, obviously, we'll, we'll keep in touch. Well, thank you so much. And once again, John, as you say, you and I have had our differences down through the years we've been involved with this. But I want you to know that I do appreciate the work that you're doing. So thank you. All right. Thank you, Al. Take care. We'll keep in touch. Bye now. That's uh, Al Lindsay, uh, the uh, lawyer for Jerry Sandusky, talking about pretty amazing stuff when you think about it. I mean, he, he, Al believes that eventually Jerry Sandusky will get a new trial, assuming he lives long enough. And he even believes, although he didn't get d- too deeply into it, that there won't actually be a new trial because the prosecution will decide that this isn't worth it. Now, I disagree with that. I, I think that the, if that ever got to that point, the prosecution would just rely on the fact that the jury pool has been polluted beyond comprehension, and it doesn't matter that their, that their case sucks, uh, and that they would just go for, for it. And if by chance they lost, they would be able to say, well, you know, it's been so many years, no prosecution case ever gets stronger over time, and we, just, we did the best we could. These are tough cases to prove. So I, I think Al's a little uh, overly optimistic. But it's interesting to hear that. And, 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 and trust me, uh, Al and I are, are uh, well, well, that was a, a very cordial interview. Uh, we, we're both underselling how much we have hated each other <laughs> over the last several years. But maybe in a weird way that goes to our credibility that two people who hate each other this much would, would come together on an issue this unpopular. If you're interested in more of the information on this case, please go to Framing Paterno. That's framingpaterno.com. The name is figurative, not literal, where you can find all the information, including uh, the details on why this date issue is so important and why I'm now convinced, as are others, that it's totally wrong. Uh, The key key date, the only real key date of the whole case, totally wrong by six weeks in a very substantive and dramatic fashion. That'll do it for hour number two of this edition of the World According to Zig podcast. Please make sure you... uh, uh, do one of two things, or actually do both if, if you feel like it. Number one, share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. Number two, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.